Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20. Here's what the Bible says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I want to talk to you today about God's invitation to us. God's invitation to us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now in the lovely name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for those that have gathered here in second service today. We thank you for those that are watching on live stream around the world. I pray, Lord, that your blessing and your favor would just be upon us. That you would speak through me, Holy Spirit, that you would teach through me. That the ears of the hearers would hear, hearts would receive, that our understanding would be enlightened, that we would be challenged and encouraged by your precious word today. Father, we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want to begin just by kind of looking at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Then we'll get into the meat of what we're going to be talking about today. And we'll be starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So... You can go ahead and slip on over there if you would like because we'll be there very very quickly, shortly. But Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. What Jesus was saying is, I'm standing at this door and I'm knocking, but I'm not going to push myself upon you. I need you to do something. I need you to hear me, and I need you to open the door. And the reason is because God is a covenant God, and there are more than one part to every covenant. In this particular situation, there are two parts to this covenant. God says, I'll do this, you do this, and then we'll sit down and we'll have a conversation and we'll talk. We'll talk. So my challenge to us today is let's let God in. Let's let Him into our lives. Let's let Him into our heart. Let's let Him into our our thought processes. Let's let let Him into our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Let's allow God to be an active participant in our life in 2017 in a greater way than we have ever allowed Him to participate. God spoke uh, uh, just a a couple of days ago. I was praying and asking the Lord about, you know, a word and and what what is, you know, usually I'm asking the Lord, what about the word for the new year and whatnot? And He actually spoke through my pastor, Pastor Ron Callahan in Lexington, Kentucky, Grace Fellowship Church there. God gave him the word, a word, and that word is change. That 2017 is going to be a year of change for a whole lot of people. That God is going to accelerate a lot of people. That God is going to raise a lot of people up. That there are things that are going to be changing in their lives as they move closer and closer and closer to what the Lord would have them do. And also as we together corporately move closer to the coming of the Lord. And, um, I, and that began to resonate inside of my spirit. I began to think about that and it began to resonate inside of my spirit and I began to feel the confirmation of that in my spirit today and, and, and over the last few days that 2017 is a year of change. I, I think God's going to shift some people this year. I think God's going to accelerate some people. God's going to take people to new levels. We're going to experience God in a level that we've never experienced Him. I'm, I'm really believing that. But we have to let Him in in order for that to happen. We have to participate in our part of the covenant and we have to let Him in. And so I I get this word picture when I look at this passage of Scripture. Jesus is saying, I'm standing at the door knocking if you will hear me. So we have to be in a position to hear Him. So if you hear my voice and then you open the door, I will come in to, to you and I will sup with you and you with me. So in other words, we'll sit down and we'll feast on some things together. We'll talk about some things. And so I began to think about in this word picture, if God was to come to my house and say, let's sit down and talk, what would God say to us? What would He say? To, I'm, I'm sure there are several things that God would say to us, but I began to think along the lines of 
God's invitation to us. What would God say to us? And there's a few things here that I feel like under the direction of the Spirit of the Lord that I received. And I think that God would say to us, you know, I want to take you to a higher level of living. I want to take you to a higher standard of living. And in order to do that, I invite you to participate in the promises of God. To participate in the promises of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 20, and we'll read it in a few moments, but the Bible says that all the promises in Him are yea and in Him amen. The promises of God are yea and amen to us. And those promises are in Him. I think He would tell us that He is the God of comfort even in the difficult times of our lives. Now, I've never really been one to tell you that if you give your life to Christ that everything's going to go great and hunky-dory for you and everything's going to be wonderful and you're going to smell up or wake up smelling roses and you're going to have steak every night or grouper, whatever you want, you know, or chicken or whatever. I, I've never been one to tell you that. I have always told you because I believe the Bible teaches it that while God may not deliver us sometimes from the things that we're going through, that God promised He would never leave us. That He would give us the strength to make it through. That He will never leave us. That He will never forsake us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. So He's the God of all comfort. Now, with that in mind, I want us to go, please, to 1 Corinthians Chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what the Bible says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, which are in all Achaia, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's just pause right there for just a moment and just kind of dissect verse number 2. Paul said, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, grace is God's ability to do in us and for us what we cannot do in ourselves or for ourselves. Peace is shalom, nothing missing or nothing broken. So what the blessing was, was I'm praying over you that God's ability to do for you, in you and for you, what you cannot do in yourself and for yourself will come upon you so strong that you will experience nothing missing and nothing broken. And by the way, this only happens through Jesus Christ. And so we see that as a teaching point. And then it goes on and it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Somebody say, the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Now it goes on, verse number 4, Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So He's a God of comfort. That's one of His promises. He's a God of comfort. Whether we be afflicted is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Verse 7, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also be of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Listen to this that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of our life. So Paul and Timothy were talking to the Corinthian church and they were saying, listen, he's a God of comfort and he'll comfort you and he'll strengthen you and he'll help you even when you're going through difficult times where it feels like that you're even pressed out of measure. In fact, in verse number 9, they said they were pressed so severely that they felt like that they had the sentence of death in themselves. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. 
So the comfort is this. Now listen to me. He's the God of all comfort. They were pressed beyond measure. They were, they were pressed above strength. They were despairing of their life. They had the sentence of death in their selves. But the comfort of God to them was this. What you're going through is not going to kill you. Now that's a word for somebody here today. In the first service it was, and I can sense it in my spirit here in the second service it is. We've come through the holiday season. For some people the holiday season are wonderful, is a wonderful time of the year. I mean we give gifts and we, and we love on each other and all of that. Then there's other, time, other people that it's a very difficult time of the year. And then as we get older, we not only have the joy of giving, but then we also have the uh, pain sometimes of remembering those that's went on. So we have this mixture of emotions. We're up and down and all around and different things like this. And if we don't watch it, we can sink into depression or we can experience the oppression of the enemy or sometimes we can get started on a new year and what we think we're starting as in, in a good, on a good foot and things are going great, then all of a sudden something happens and we're thinking, oh my goodness, not this year too. Well, let me tell you something. You're right, not this year too. What you are going through is not going to kill you. God is going to help you. God is going to strengthen you if you can hear His voice, open the door, let Him come in and participate in this covenant that God has given you. Woo, there's a little preach in the second service here too. Hallelujah. So then we go on and He says, uh, Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks be given by many on our behalf. So we see Paul and Timothy communicating to the Corinthian believers concerning their stay in Asia. And the Bible said that they were persecuted to the point where they felt like that they had death in themselves, the spirit of death or the sentence of death inside of themselves. But they realized that the God of all comfort was a God of resurrection, that He was a God of of doing it over again or a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And He was just the God of another chance. So then we go on in verse number 12. And I want us to pay particular attention to verse number 20 where the Bible said that the promises of God are yea and amen to them that believe. But let's read verse 12 through 24. Just get this set up real good here today. It says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that is simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than what, we, than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. As also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. What he was saying there was we can comfort one another. We can encourage one another. We can be together with one another. Verse number 15, the Bible says, And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that ye might have a second benefit. Somebody say second benefit. All right, look at your neighbor and say number two. Come on, this is Holy Ghost Espresso. Number two. Number two, number two, number two. Here's what the second benefit is. And to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness or the things that I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there should be yea, yea and nay, nay? But as God is true... Our word toward you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay or yes and no, but in Him, somebody say, in Him, it was yes or yea. In Him it was yea. For all the promises of God... In Him are yea, and in Him amen unto the glory of God by us. So yes means yes, and no means no. And the promises of God 
the Bible said, In Him are yea, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. So what he was saying was the promises of God that are in me, I'm going to say yes to you and you'll speak out the word of God and you'll speak out the promises of God and the power of God, the atmosphere will become saturated with my word and when that happens then I'm going to say amen because the promises of God in him are yes and the promises of God in him are amen and yes means yes and amen means so be it. Now listen to me very closely, church. Listen to me. When you speak out the promises of God over your life and over your children, you are exercising your part of the covenant of God and God's response to you is, yes, so be it. So 1 Peter chapter 2 and 24, by His stripes you said in your word, by His stripes you were healed. And God says, yes, so be it. You said in your word that God is greater than anything that I face. And God says, yes, so be it. You said in your word that I would above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers and is in health. And God says, yes, so be it because His promises are yea in Him and amen in Him to the glory of God. Now listen to me. The Bible says that we're the temple of God, that God dwells in us, that God lives inside of us. So if the promises of God are in Him and He lives in us, then every promise in the book is in us because we are in Him and He is in us and all He's waiting for is the activity of faith through the confession of your mouth to say, yes, I said that, so be it. Now listen to me. In 2017, you will take off the devil whatever you decide to take off the devil. If you make up your mind right here, I'm not taking anything off the devil in 2017, then praise God, you can live in victory. You can live, doesn't mean you'll never face a trouble, doesn't mean you'll never face a trial, doesn't mean you'll never, never have to go through. Sometimes you've got to have the God of all comfort coming alongside of you and saying, you know something, it might look like you might even have the sentence of death in yourself. You might feel pressed on every measure, but you have the promise of God inside of you that the resurrected Christ lives inside of you and everything that the enemy sends against you as an assignment to kill you or to kill the blessing or to kill the favor of God or to kill your health or anything over you, it can be canceled when we speak the word of God up out of us because God lives inside of us, activate our faith and when we do that, God says yes, I said it, so be it. Now, all of this is for the glory of God. For the glory of God. It's, it's not so much for us as, as, it, as it is for Him. An example that I gave in the first service, you know, the grandbaby. She's so the beautiful Sophia Ann. She is a week and a half old now. And the kids have their own place, but a night or two they've come over because she's got her days and nights mixed up. And so uh, they haven't been able to sleep real well. So they got this brilliant idea. We'll come over and spend the night at mom and dad's house. Mamma and Papa, Mom and Dad. They can help us because they can get that baby to sleep. So Mamma gets the little, I don't even know what you call it, bassinet. She gets the little bassinet. She brings it into our room. Three o'clock in the morning, this baby is bright-eyed. And she's just wonderful. And she's great. And she's precious. Well, we're not getting no sleep. <laughs> and I looked at my wife, and I'm holding her, and I'm not my wife, the baby. <laughs> and I'm holding her, and I looked at my wife, and I said, she'll never forget this moment. I mean, she'll never remember this moment. Forget, yeah. See? Sleep deprived. She'll... She'll never remember this moment. 
In fact, I said, Donna, do you think she even knows who I am? And she said, oh, I'm sure she knows who her papa is. I said, well, okay. And then it dawned on me. Sometimes we do for our kids and now for our grandchildren, sometimes we do for them things more for us than for them. Can I give you a little uh, uh, lights on moment here? You can take that grandchild to Disney at two years old. All You can take them two or three times at two years old to Disney. That kid's never going to remember it, but you will. But you will. Because there's something, get this, inside of you that wants to meet their need. There's something inside of you that wants the connection. There's something inside of you that wants to please that child. Well, did you know that there's a whole lot of things that God has designed in His Word that's not for us, but it's more for Him than for us. He said, the promises of God are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen. And then the next phrase says, to the glory of God. His promises, although we enjoy them and they're a benefit to our life, they're more for Him than they are for us. Because God has something inside of Him that says, I want to take care of them. I want to please them. I want to bless them. I want them to feel my love. I want them to feel my power. I want them to feel my anointing. I want them to feel the effect on their life of my presence. And so what God does is He says, I'm going to design a covenant that's full of yea and amen to them that believe so they can experience my blessing and I can receive my satisfaction. When you, listen to me very closely, when you do not receive the blessing of God upon your life, you are robbing God of His pleasure. You're robbing Him of His greatest pleasure. Don't you ever feel guilty about the blessing that God puts on your life. You know something? There might be some religious folks around you. I can't believe you drive around in a car that nice. You call yourself a Christian. That's exactly right. Son of God. Heir of God. Join heir with Jesus. Royal blood flows through. Yes. Hallelujah. I can't believe you live in that nice fancy house. Why would you live in a big fancy house like that? Because I'm royalty. Hallelujah. It's for God. It's for God. God spoke to me uh, about two years ago. We bought this house over in Fairway Oaks. I told some of you about it. We, have since, we still own it, but we have since uh, you know, moved, moved back to the parsonage because I just I love being here. I love living here. And so, uh, and so uh, we bought it. And it's, you know, it's a big fancy house. It's, you know, it's got curb appeal and all this kind of stuff. And I looked at it and I thought, I've never lived in a house this fancy in my whole entire life. And, and I, I'm praying and I said, Lord, I really don't need this. Lord, I just don't need this. And you know what the Lord spoke to me? He said, this community needs to see my kid living in something like this. The life that we live is the testimony to the lost. Listen, let God bless you. Let God bless you. Let God bless you. Touch your neighbor and say, let God bless you. Let God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let Him bless you. Let Him bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Let Him bless you. Why? Because it's for Him, not for you. He receives glory from it. And it's not so much for you, although it is in a way. So now, for all the promises of God in Him are yea and in Him, amen, under the glory of God, God by us. Dr. John, <laughs> Now He which establishes us with you in Christ, I love that man. Now He which establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I called God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth for not for that we have dominion over your faith but we are helpers of your joy for by faith ye stand. Now, I want to, I want to just back up to verse 20 for one more, one more uh, run at this, okay? The promises of God, the Bible said, are established in Him. Now listen to me very closely. And because they are established in Him and He lives in us, then they are manifested through us 
because God lives in us. Now, let's go to the next one. So we're sitting down and we're talking with God. He said, I want to invite you to experience my promise. Then the next thing he says, you know what? I want to invite you to be my partner. I want you to be my partner. John Hagee uh, made this statement. Go ahead there, Steve. He said, when something's out of control, it's merely out of your control, not God's. I thought that was great. I thought that was great. Now let's go to Philippians uh, chapter 3. God said, I want to be your partner. Now look at this passage. That I may know him. Somebody say, I want to know God. Come on, come on. I want to know him. That I may know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now just keep it right there for a minute, Scott. When the Bible says right here that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, I'm going to teach you something. Some of you that's been here for a while, you've heard me teach this before, but we have newer people, and so I want to teach this to you, something you've probably never seen or heard in your life about this passage of Scripture. Because see, for years, people take this passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, and they use it as a basis to say we're supposed to suffer for Christ. No, the Bible said that if we suffer with Him, the fellowship of His sufferings. That word fellowship there is the Greek word koinonia, which means partnership. It's the Greek word koinonia, which means partnership. So when we talk about a partnership, we're talking about covenant. There are different sides to partnership. There's something we have to put into it, and there's something we receive from it. There's something the partner has to put, in, put into it, and something that they receive from it. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see in this. When the Bible says here that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, He's, he's inviting us to be a partner in the fellowship of His sufferings or participate in partnership in the fellowship of His sufferings. His part is Calvary. Our part is to receive everything that Calvary paid for. Here we go. I said His part is Calvary. Our part is to receive everything that Calvary paid for. So when I don't receive what Calvary paid for because I don't feel like I'm worthy and I try to pay for it myself, then I am cheapening the cross. Here's what we got to do, church. Listen, here's what we got to do. We got to say, okay, Lord, I'll take everything that Calvary paid for. I'll just take it all. Whatever you paid for, I'll take it with gratitude, realizing that there's absolutely no way in the world, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's no way in the world I could ever pay for everything that I need from God. So I'm just going to throw myself upon your mercy. I'm going to receive your grace and I'm going to say thank you. I receive everything. Everything that Calvary paid for becoming a part of the sufferings of Christ. So it's the fellowship of His sufferings. Now look at this, being made conformable unto His death. Okay, let's go to the next slide there, Scott. Conformable means to assimilate with or to be merged with Christ in death. <laughs> so I'm a partner with the fellowship of His sufferings. And then I've been being made conformable unto his death. And then the next scripture says, If by any means I made it might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. When I am assimilated, assimilate means to bring together, to make one. We have an assimilation system here at the church. If this is your first time being here, sometime this week you're going to get a communication from the church telling you it was great having you here, giving you more information about the church. If you come back next week, we're going to contact you again. We're going to try our best to contact you again. And there's an assimilation program that stretches out a month or two. And the goal is if people actually come back, see when they come back the second time, then they're 80% uh, lot more likely to actually come and start connecting with the church. And so we want to assimilate them. We want them to become part of the body of Christ. Here's what Jesus was saying here. He says, through the fellowship of my sufferings, through the partnership of my sufferings, I can make you one with my death so that you can also 
become one with my resurrection. That's why he said, if the spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall also quicken your mortal bodies. I receive the quickening of the spirit because I have become one with Christ in death. Now what does that mean to become one with Christ in death? If I have assimilated with him, being made conformable unto his death, then that means when Jesus died, he overcame the power of sin, the power of hell, the power of the grave. When he overcame those things and I am assimilated with him in death, being made conformable unto his death, then that means when he died, the power that sin had over my body died with Christ because I died with Christ and he eradicated sin. The Bible said He removes sin away from me as far as the east is from the west and the Bible said that He remembers that sin against me no more. Now listen very closely, okay? If the power of sin over my life died with Christ because I have been made conformable to His death, I have become born again and become one with Him, then I can claim the Scripture where the Bible says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you would fulfill it in the lust thereof. That tells me I have power over the sin that once had me bound. Why do we have power over the sin that once had us bound? Because we have become one with Him. Partnership, fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. And then the Bible says here in verse number 11, If I'm... If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And then the Bible talks about if I, if I was crucified with him, then I can be raised again in the likeness of his resurrection. So that tells me that I can live again, but when I become born again and I live again, then the, the hold that sin had on me before, it no longer has hold on me anymore because that power was broken at Calvary. Now... We can experience the power of the resurrection. This happens when we become born again. I I wanted to go into Romans chapter 1 this morning. I couldn't in the first service, and I'm telling you right now, there's no way in the world I would ever get through it if we hit it right now. So let's not do that. But write that down, Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 14, and make that your further reading later this week. So the third thing that I want to share with you, if we're sitting down with God, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come into him, sup with him, and he with me. You hear my voice. But I want to invite you to be part of the promises of God. Okay, God, I'll do that. Now, how does that happen? Well, I've got to come in and live inside of you. You know, you've got to give your life to me. You've got to trust me. Okay, Lord, I'm going to open the door. I'm going to let you come in. I'm going to let you set up permanent residence inside of me. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every Lord, I receive it now in the name of Jesus. Then he says, uh, not only do I want to invite you to be my people, but I want to invite you to be my partner. I want you to be the recipient of everything that Calvary paid for. Okay, Lord, I receive that. And then the third thing I think that he wants us, he wants to invite us to be his people. His people, God's people. I want to invite you to come into covenant with me. Now the Bible says that we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I want you to go with me please to the book of Galatians chapter 3. It's just to the right in your Bible just a little bit. Galatians chapter 3. Actually it's the next next book over. Galatians chapter 3. And I want us to work on this for just a little bit. Let's start in verse number 15. 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse number 15 says, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed... Were the promises made. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, you're the seed of Abraham. Hallelujah. You are the seed of Abraham. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ 
the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that, I should make the, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So just a real quick translation here. What God was saying is, what I'm promising to you was something that I promised to the seed of Abraham before the schoolmaster or before the law came. So there's a promise here that, that you can have, okay? And then it goes on here, and it says, uh, For if the inheritance be of the law, it, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And then it goes on and says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So, why do we have the law? If the promise came before the law, then why do we have to have the law? Because there were transgressions in relationship with God. The theological definition of sin is a willful transgression against the law of God. So there were transgressions against the law. And then it goes on and says, The law was here until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Now who was the seed? Jesus. He was the seed of Abraham. So the law was in effect until the seed came, which was Jesus 2,000 years ago. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. No, it's not. It's not. For if there had been a law given which would have given life, Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. So what he was saying was, you've got all of these things that the law addresses, but the law doesn't have the power to give you life. Only Jesus can give you life. Jesus came saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto God except the Spirit draws. Is the, is the, is the law then against the promises of God? No, God forbid. For if there had been a law given which would have given life, verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But we know that righteousness is not by the law. Righteousness is by faith. We are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We do not receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. God forms righteousness in us. God fashions righteousness in us. He has made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The law could not give life. Only righteousness or right standing could, could give life. And we're too, we are too flawed to produce it on ourselves, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. It takes God. It takes His presence. It takes, the, it, it takes the passing of the law and the fulfilling of the promise in order for the making of righteousness to take place inside of our heart and inside of our lives. Let me keep going here. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Not to them that sacrifice, but to them that believe. That's why it's not by the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer that we can approach ourselves unto God according to the book of Hebrews. The Bible said it's through the blood of the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, who entered one time into the holy place to obtain eternal redemption for you and for me. Hallelujah. So the Bible said the promise of Jesus Christ came, comes through us by faith and it's given unto those that believe. But before faith came, before faith came, the Bible says we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. 
before faith came. 2,000 years ago, faith came. They were looking toward the cross. The Bible speaks, and we'll read it in just a few moments, the Bible speaks of the law as being the schoolmaster. It's dress rehearsal. It's the preparation of the earth for the grand entrance of the Son of God who came to this earth to be that lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world opening the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We're tying it together. Opening the door to covenant relationship with God. And he says, now I'm going to take you beyond the law into a place of faith where you're going to be able to experience God in His fullness without measure. The law kept you shut up. The law kept you hemmed in. The law put boundaries around you. But now I'm going to take you to place to a place where with man things may seem impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now I'm going to take you to a place where you experience my power and my presence and my anointing and my favor without measure. Why? Why? Because before, before we were living under the supposed righteousness of the law and because the law was contained, what we could receive was contained. But now we can receive the Spirit of His Son. We can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit which is the Spirit without measure because He remade us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He redesigned us. He remade us to be able to hold the capacity of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Oh my goodness. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. Here we go. To bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Not faith in the law. Not faith in the restraints of the law. You were under the schoolmaster. The law brought you to this place. The Bible says it brought you unto Christ. But now, the law that brought you unto Christ became fulfilled by Christ and now Christ lives inside of us so we no longer have to just learn about God. We can know God. Ha! Woo! Glory to God. Somebody needs to shout right now. I'm telling you. If you don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to make it through the rest of this. <laughs> For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So... So when the Bible says that we are the children of God, then that's a totally different relationship than what Abraham had. Now the Bible said that we are Abraham's seed and we are heirs according to the promise. The Bible also said that in the book of Hebrews that Abraham searched for a country whose builder and maker was God and he did not find that country. The reason he did not find that country was the only way to access that country or that place in God, that kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is God's systems and ways of doing things. The only way to access that was by faith. Okay? Now the Bible talks about the faith of Abraham. But, but, but Abraham was before the law and then came the law which was the schoolmaster of the things of God. Abraham had already passed away and now the reason that Abraham couldn't, couldn't receive what he couldn't find that country was because he was living in the wrong time. But we're living in the right time. And we're Abraham. Ham's seed and heirs according to the 
promises of God. So if we're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promises of God and we live in the right time, then we can just say, okay, every promise in the book is mine and now I receive that promise as a son of God. I am not just the friend of God like Abraham. I am the son of God. I am a child of God. My DNA has God in it. Your DNA has God in it. Why? Because He lives in you. And whatever is inside of you gets inside of your body throughout. They can take a follicle of hair and I can I cannot even be on this continent and they can match it to my DNA and they can say, that's Jonathan Force because of the DNA in the follicle of that hair. You get God in you. Come on, you see where we're going. Come on, just go there with me. Come on, let's just go there together. You get God in you. And it will affect every single area of your life. Every area of your life. Every area. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Woo! Hallelujah. So, God's invitation is, I want to be your God. You can be my people. 43, at least, 43 different times in the Bible. Now, one commentator said 51, but at least 43 times in the Bible there are references to God wanting a people for himself. Here's a few examples. Come on, let's go through them, all right? Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 22. You will be my people and I will be your God. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 7, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Leviticus 26 and 12, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Jeremiah 32, 38, they will be my people and I will be their God. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. Psalms chapter 90 and verse number 1 says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. The desire of God, His greatest desire is you. The desire of God has always been and will always be relationship with us. Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. and Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over every living thing. The Bible said that God made man from the dust of the ground. I'll tell you what I shared in the first service. The Bible said that God made man. Now understand, the whole purpose of God creating us was for himself. You were created for God. God made man from the dust of the ground. That word made there means to squeeze out of the ground. He made man. And God said, okay. It's not good for him to be alone. So he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He took a rib from the side of Adam. And the word made he a woman, that word made is a different translation than the word when it said made a man. 
the word made he a woman is the, is the word fashioned. That's why you like to shop. So God made a man to be a protector and a provider and he literally squeezed him out of the ground and then God made a woman from man and he fashioned and molded and made and made her beautiful. Now the Bible said that in the cool of the day God would come and walk and talk to Adam and Eve and have fellowship with them in the garden. That was the whole reason that they were made for fellowship with God. Sin enters the human race. It puts the barrier between God and man. Jesus comes along. He dies on Calvary. The Bible said that God removed that sin as far as the east is from the west and remembers it against us no more, reestablishing that communion with God. You were created for Him, for His purpose, for His pleasure, for Him to love. But I don't deserve God's love. You were made by God for His love. So don't tell me you don't deserve God's love. We do. We deserve His love with all of our faults and all of our failures, because when we come to Him, we participate with Him as a partner in the fellowship of His sufferings. We are assimilated with Him in the conformity of His death, and we participate with Him in His resurrection. To be, listen, the house of God, the dwelling place of God. It really is that simple Come on, you're his house. He lives in you. He loves you. He finds pleasure in you. He wants to pour his blessing upon you. He wants to pour his favor upon you. The thing, and I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say this, the thing that stops us sometimes from receiving God's best is understanding. The understanding. We can, know it. we can know the word without knowing the word. We can know it without understanding it. So I want to challenge you this year, in 2017, to be the dwelling place of God. Realize that the whole reason that God created you was for Himself. To love, to find pleasure, to have communion. His greatest desire is you. Let's stand. Come on. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669 or you may call us at 727-856-1770 our office hours are monday through wednesday 9 a.m to 5 p.m thursdays 9 a.m to 2 p.m and remember the word will work if you work the word